We're going to talk today about preferences, although it doesn't look like we're going to talk about that from the text that we're going to use, which is in Acts chapter 15. I would encourage you to turn to Acts 15. While you're doing that, let me just uh, say one more time something about these, these uh, small groups that we're, we're doing. We do groups on an ongoing basis. Uh, however, there are a couple times we have on-ramps to give you an opportunity to sign up so that you can be a part. Uh, and we're doing that right now. It's a sign-up time where you can get a part of these groups, uh, and you can either go to mynewhope.in, look at that, stop at the kiosk out there, which is already set at mynewhope.in, or get one of the paper catalogs you can take home and uh, read it at your leisure. Uh, so a couple that I want to plug, three of them. Uh, I'm going to be teaching a class on how to lead my friend to Christ. It's a basic uh, one-on-one level orientation of how to lead somebody to Christ, evangelism. So we're going to talk about some little tricks of the trade, some, some keys on how you can do it. If you have an opportunity, I know you don't want to go knock on doors. Uh, that's kind of out of our comfort zone. But it could be that God sets it up for you to have a conversation with a friend, and it could be the time when you can lead, lead them to Christ. They're receptive, they're open to it, and you just don't know what to say. This is, this is designed to give you the tools so you know what to say when those opportunities come up. Okay, so that's, that's going to be happening uh, It's either in April or May, I forget, but if you go on there and look, it'll tell you what it is. It's, it's uh, four Saturday mornings uh, in that month. Uh, and a second one that you could sign up for is Discover New Hope, which is kind of our uh, open door orientation to New Hope Christian Center. What, what do we believe? How do you fit in it? How do we function? How do we work? And that sort of thing. If you go to the Discover New Hope class and sign up for that, uh, that's going to give you all the answers that you want to know to that. It's uh, just four weeks long, meets on a Sunday morning. So you folks that come to the 930 service, you could go to the Discover New Hope class at 11 o'clock, but you got to sign up. And don't wait because the first class starts next Sunday, and we need to know how many of these fill-in-the-blank workbooks we need to put together for you. So get signed up for that. And, uh, and the other one is a, is a service opportunity. Our church has for a long time had a ministry going on at Smith Farms Manor. It's, a, it's an assisted living facility in Auburn. Uh, and we do a church service on Sunday morning. And if you would like to be a part of doing that, uh, that, that would be helpful. We need people who will go over and care about our senior citizens. And they are hungry for the Word of God. They want to come out, out of their rooms for the church service. We need somebody to, that can go over there and lead a couple of the songs, the hymns that they're familiar with, and someone else that can go over and preach a simple gospel to them that will give them hope. We also do that on Thursday afternoons at Bet's Nursing Home. Um, these folks might just fall asleep on you, but that's okay. It's in the middle of the afternoon, uh, but these are people who have been a, a vital part of building our culture, building our society, and now in their latter years, we think they shouldn't be forgotten. So we take church to them, uh, Bet's. So uh, you don't have to be a Billy Graham preacher to speak to these folks. You just have to go over and be willing to be a vessel and communicate with them, sing some hymns that they're familiar with. So if you'd like to be a part of that, just go to mynewhope.in, find that group on there. It's a serve group, uh, and get signed up, and we'll connect with you and tell you everything you need to know. We'll take you through training if you need to. Uh, 
We just believe that the church should be the church and we should not be hiding out on Sunday morning. We should be practicing this all our lives. Amen? Okay, Acts chapter 15. Uh, the, the, The bulk of Acts chapter 15 is about a big dispute that was going on in the early church, and we'll discuss that in a little bit. Um, But I want to draw our attention to the last paragraph here, starting in verse 36 of Acts 15. It says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him. But Paul did not think it wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers To the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Precious Lord, I want to pray right now for this this, uh, story in your word about a sharp disagreement between two great preachers, between two godly men. And Father, I pray that as we talk about preferences today, that you'll open our understanding to maybe some areas where we ourselves are in sharp disagreement when we really don't need to be. So, Father, just uh, open your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The definition of preference is to make a choice of one over another. For example, I have two different kinds of of cola here. Coca-Cola, Pepsi-Cola. If you went to a party and the only thing they had to drink was Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola, raise your hand if you would choose the Coca-Cola. Okay. Put your hands down. Raise your hand if you would choose the Pepsi-Cola. I would say that's just about 50-50. That's just what I thought it would be. So this morning, I have, a, I have to make a choice, and I'm going to prefer Coca-Cola. Ah, I made the right choice. Preferences. Do I have a right to insist that you all drink Coca-Cola because it's my preference? Of course not. It's a preference. I prefer this or I prefer that. Some of you this morning prefer to sit up front where you can get spit on when the pastor gets really going. (laughs) Others of you prefer to sit in the back just in case you need to get out in a hurry. We have reasons for our preferences, right? We have reasons, preferences. We're going to talk a little bit about preferences here. Anita prefers to watch movies that are uh, romantic, 
have some relationships that get built in. I'm okay with that, but I got to have some action adventure in the movie or I'm going to fall asleep. I need something. I need some. I, I live a boring life. I need to watch something that gives me some excitement, that gives me, t- puts me into some risk because I'm a, I'm a man. Men like to take risks. Women are looking for security. <clears throat> but when our preferences become law, they get ugly. Um, there is a church in Jerusalem known as the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. It is supposedly the location where uh, Jesus Christ died. That's an image of it right there. It's, uh, it's where Jesus Christ supposedly died and was buried. They built this church on top of it. It's a major tourist area where people from all over the world... Uh, Probably hundreds of thousands of people from all over the world go to this site. They want to see this Church of the Holy Sepulchre. There's a problem with this church, though, and that is it's, it's not under the control of any one denomination. These Christian groups have kind of shared responsibility for control of this church. There's several churches that have control. The three major ones are uh, Greek Orthodox, Armenian Apostolic, and Roman Catholic. And those three groups are constantly quarreling with one another as to what's going to happen with that building. Back in 2008, the Internet came alive with videos of some... Greek and Armenian monks in a fistfight outside this church over something. Nobody even knows what it was about, but they got in a fistfight. Constant quarrels, so nothing gets done. Now, if you look over the entrance there, you'll see there's a ladder up there. That ladder has been there since sometime before 1852. In 1852 is the first record of a dispute over this ladder. Because, you see, no group can do anything in that church without the approval of the other groups. And none of those others will give in to the first. So there's this big power struggle over this building that is falling apart. It is unsafe. As you can see, parts of the ledge are falling off where people are down below. So the Israeli government, and a big part of their income is tourism, the Israeli government wants to do repairs on the church, and they will pay for it. But they insist that the parties in control come to an agreement to let them do that. No way. So the building falls apart. The church is dying because nobody will give in to the other side. Preferences. Does that say anything to us? Could it be we get stuck in our preferences and we make them laws and the church 
is stuck and just slowly dies over the centuries. So that's kind of my orientation thought. I want us, I want us to go a little bit further, and I want to share five principles with you about preferences. Based on the story that we're reading here about Paul and Barnabas, here's the first principle. Preferences are to be tolerated. We have to tolerate people that prefer Pepsi. We have to tolerate people who have different views than we do. I had a person tell me one time that they would not come to this church, to our church, because they don't like this hand-raising stuff. I'm perfectly okay with people that don't like this hand-raising stuff. But I have to find a way to express myself if I'm going to worship. I've got to, I, I can't just stand like a statue. I've got to do something. So I like to raise my hands, clap my hands, do a little dance up here. I love the Lord, and I want to get excited. I need to get excited. I need to excite myself. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. You will bless the Lord. I have, to, I have to find a way to express it. So don't constrain me and hold me back because you have a different preference. We need to tolerate each other's preferences. Some Christians make laws to put other Christians under their preferences. A lot of you know the history of this particular church. It used to be a non-instrumental church of Christ. I remember a time when, when this church, when it was a non-instrumental church of Christ, was uh, going to participate in the community Good Friday service. In other words, churches came together and did a service. And there was a man from the United Methodist Church who was going to do a trumpet solo. And when the leadership group of this church, the non-instrumental Church of Christ, found out that they were going to have a trumpet solo, they refused to participate. That's an, that's an example of taking your preference and projecting it onto everybody else. And I'll tell you this about instrumental singing. Uh, not instrumental. I said that backwards. Acapella. Acapella means no instruments. I'll tell you this. If you can sing good, it sounds beautiful. But if you can't carry a tune in a bucket, nobody wants to listen. And that was the case. I prefer American-made cars. I have reasons for my preference, but I don't have a problem with some of you that, that out here in the parking lot, you have Japanese-made cars, European-made cars. I don't have a problem with that. It's my preference. And it's my preference among American-made cars to have a GM. Part of that is because my dad was a Ford man. I really don't have any basis for saying I like GM cars. It's my preference. I prefer that. Somebody else prefers something else. Okay, so preferences need to be tolerated. We need to let other people be who they are. Amen? 
Here's the second principle I want us to see. It is biblical for Christians to disagree. We just read it right here. Is there anybody more spiritual than Paul and Barnabas? And they had this blowout disagreement. It is biblical. As a matter of fact, this happens at the end of chapter 15. Do you know what happens at the beginning of chapter 15? The church is having a big blowout fight over whether or not Gentiles coming to the faith have to fit under the Mosaic law. Because God gave the Mosaic law to his people. This is, this is how I want you to live, he said. This is what the Mosaic law is all about. These are my values. This is, my, this, this is what I believe. Or that God is saying, this is where I live and I expect this. I require this of you. That's the Mosaic law. So Gentiles who had never been obeying the law have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Having never followed the law, they have this glorious deliverance experience where they're serving God. And when Paul and Barnabas get to Jerusalem and report to everybody what wonderful things God's doing, the church got in this big dispute. No, whoa, 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 wait a minute. If God gave us the law, then Jesus doesn't change the law. So everybody needs to follow the law. So we need to get all these men together. We need to march them down to the doctor's office and get them circumcised. Actually, they didn't go to the doctor's office. We don't know where they went, but they used a sharp stone. Yee, ouch. Anybody want to come to Jesus? So they had this big disagreement, and they all had to get together, and they all had to share their different views, and listen to what God was doing. Listen to the testimonies of the amazing thing God was doing, and they came to the conclusion, we're not going to put people who have never been under the law under the law. The law then becomes a preference to people who want to follow God. You don't have to follow the Mosaic law. But you can follow the Mosaic Law. It is a preference, but we're not going to impose it on people who've never followed it, except for a couple things. One of them was sexual immorality. That should be banned. That's one of the basic things that every Christian needs to get a hold of, our sexuality, amen, and how we maintain holiness with that. Immediately, when that finally was resolved, the next thing we read is Paul and Barnabas have this big split, big division. And there's a lot to that. We don't have the time to get into uh, to all that. But Paul and Barnabas were the dream team. Seven times in the first part of the book of Acts, seven times it talks about Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul, back and forth we see these are, this is the dream team. God put these two people together to go out and evangelize and, and build a church in different cities. It was an amazing move of God that God was doing with them, with those two. Paul had been rejected by the disciples. When he had his encounter with, with God on the Damascus Road... 
Paul went to the disciples because he thought he needed to be joined by them. They were afraid of him. They wouldn't have anything to do with him. Isn't that interesting? They had a conversion story that they were telling people about, but they didn't believe it worked for somebody else. Could that be our problem? We've had an encounter with God, but we really don't think anybody else is going to have an encounter like we did. When in reality, although God does it differently, He wants it for everybody. He wants to just sweep across the, the, the community and do amazing things in people's lives. He wants to do that. Paul was called the son, excuse me, Barnabas. His name means son of encouragement. He's an encourager. Don't you love encouragers? I don't like pessimists. You know, they, they see the downside of everything. I'd rather be around encouragers that see positive, see, see what can be instead of all the things going wrong. They see how we can fix things and how we can make our world a better place. And so Barnabas went after rejected Paul and brought him back. And he said, hey guys, hey guys, listen, just as Jesus revealed himself to us, he's revealed himself to Paul as well. It's okay. We can trust him. He's had an experience with God. It's all right. Paul was the one who built the bridge that pulled Paul up out of his failure into being an apostle. It was Barnabas. It was Barnabas. Barnabas is a great guy. Paul's a great guy. They were the dream team. But we learned that they disagreed, and it's recorded in the Bible for us to learn from it. So it must be okay for them to disagree, which takes us to the third principle. Preferences are not scripturally supported. If something is scripturally supported, if God said it, then it is a law. Then it does impose itself upon us. God does have a right to tell us how to live our lives. But if it's not scripturally supported, it's a preference. If you can't find it in the Bible, it's just a preference. Preferences can be good. Preferences can be a law to you. I can't drink alcohol because I came from an alcoholic background. And I would never flaunt that back in God's face. I can't do that. Some of you in this room, you've done drugs in the past. You can't keep doing that. God's put it on you as a law. But that's not, it's a preference for me to submit to that law. It's not a law for me to put on everybody else. Because the Bible is basic. It's, it's not only neutral on the subject. It says, go drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. That's not neutral. That's pretty positive. Our church used to be a non-instrumental church of Christ. That was a preference. It was a preference. And coming to that church was a culture shock. Because nobody listens to that kind of music on the radio. It was a culture shock to people. And the only way we were going to be able to remove the culture shock was to be able to change the style. There's a lot of things most churches do that are culture shock for non-Christians. Another preference, 
which version should we use? King James Version? New International Version? CEB Version? There's all kinds of versions out there. You go to BibleGateway.com and you click on that drop-down box on what version you want, you see there's way more versions than you have time to check out. But boy, do I remember being in arguments with people about how the only accurate version is the King James Version. I'm sorry, the only accurate version is the Greek version. And I don't read Greeks. I want to read something that speaks to my heart. I came to the place years ago in our church deciding I want to speak to people's lives. I want people to want the Word of God. And if I impose the King James Version, which I prefer on other people, nobody else is going to read it. I want, to, I want the Word to be so relevant, people are hungry for it. They want to read it. So that's why I'm using the NIV. It has become my adopted preference. Okay? So Paul and Barnabas were a dream team. They worked together. Paul was apostolic. In other words, he felt a responsibility to be the man of God, the prophet of God, the one who speaks on behalf of God. He felt that responsibility. He had no problem saying, hey, you, do this. Had no problem with that. He was focused on the task at hand. Our task is, let's go out and revisit the converts we made the first time around on this missionary journey. Let's go visit them, see how they're doing, encourage them along the way. Paul's got a task in mind. Let's do it. Barnabas was an encourager. He's focused on relationships. Paul wants to get the task done. He's task-oriented. Barnabas cares about people. He's relationship-oriented. So when they're looking at the, the, this, what they have to do, the mission is we're going to go out and we're going to revisit these Christians, and we're going to check up on them, we're going to encourage them, we're going to pray for them, coach them, uh, teach them, we're going to help them be better at what they do. But they were doing it from different perspectives. Paul was task-focused, and Barnabas was relationship-focused. Together, they made a great team. They worked together. Here's number four, the fourth principle. You can agree on the mission, but disagree on the method. The method would be a preference. See what I'm saying? We prefer different things. That's okay. That'd be the method. What happens when an irresistible force meets an immovable object? What happens when two godly men decide that the right way to do this is going in different directions? What do you do? The biblical model is you go different directions. It's okay. It's all right. We're not killing the church. Paul and Barnabas went separate directions, and they both flourished. And the church, the ability of the church to grow doubled. They didn't like that division. Nobody liked the division. 
Nobody likes division today. But the church keeps growing because preferences are different, go different directions. The problem, the problem at hand was John Mark, Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. That's, that's the problem. Because he went with them when he was young and inexperienced on that first missionary journey. He went with them, and when the going got tough, under pressure, we don't know what the, what the incident was, the Bible doesn't tell us, but when the going got tough, he left and went back to Jerusalem. He didn't finish the task. And, ta- and Paul is all about task. So, Mark, Paul's perspective was Mark, John Mark was a quitter. We went out on a super essential mission to reach the lost, to plant the church, to begin the movement of Christianity across the land. We went out together. It was an important event. God did amazing things. God did miracles. Souls got saved. It was amazing. But this John Mark quit on us when the going got tough. He quit, and he went back home. We're going back out with the same kind of mission, doing the same kind of thing, and John Mark is a quitter. I don't want him on my team. He is not focused on the task. And Barnabas says, yes, Paul, but remember when God gave you a second chance? When you messed up and God gave you a second chance and God showed his amazing grace toward you? And John Mark is older now. He's more mature now. He's learned some things through his experiences. I think he needs a second chance. I think he should go. Paul says, no, no, no. He shouldn't be going. Barnabas says, yes, yes, yes. He should be going. Which one was right? They were both right. Yes, he let them down the first time. And yes, God gives second chances. How many are in this room and God gave you a second chance? That's what I thought. Everybody that likes Pepsi or Coke. Some of us just don't vote. So Paul chose Silas, Barnabas chose John Mark, and they both went out and did what they would have done the first time. Paul focused on the task, Barnabas focused on relationships, and they did amazing things. Here's number five, the fifth thing I want us to see. At the end of your life, your preferences won't matter. They just won't matter. In the last recorded words of the Apostle Paul, he's writing a letter to Timothy. And in chapter 4, verse 11, he says this, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. 
Here I am at the end of my days. Here I am at the end of my mission, of my ministry. I want you to go get Mark and bring him because he's helpful to me. I need this guy. This guy that dropped the ball, this guy that let me down, I need him. Go get him. Bring him. At the end of your days, and you look back over your life, all those preferences that meant a lot to you really won't mean a thing. When we stand before God, He's not going to judge us based on our preferences. He's going to judge us based on our relationship and our obedience and what we did with that. Preferences are important. They are okay. It's okay for you to be different than me. It's okay for you to be different than other people. We need to let people have their preferences. There are some things you die for. There are some things so crucial you will not compromise with. And if it's not clearly spelled out in the Word... It's a preference. I have them. You have them. It was my preference today to wear a tie. Next Sunday, it'll be my preference to not wear a tie. It's a preference. What does the Bible say about dressing? Pretty silent. Let's stand together. I believe I have a word for the Lord. There was a a lady in prayer meeting asked me to pray for her, and when I did, I felt the the Lord had this word for her, and I'm going to, I believe now that I think about it, it's, it's for all of us. The law of reciprocity works. What you do for someone else, God does for you. What you give out comes back to you. So what is your prayer request? What is the thing you want God to do for you? You go find somebody and do it for them. And when you go find somebody and do it for them, God will do it for you. If you need a healing in your body, go find somebody else that needs a healing in their body. You pray for them and watch what God does for you. It's in the doing of the Word that we are blessed. It's when we do it. What we give out comes back. So prayer... Talking to God, it's not a preference. It's a command. We've got to do this. How we do it is the preference. Amen. Lord, I want to pray right now for all my brothers and sisters here as we're reaching out to you. Father, we realize that we have preferences that sometimes alienate us from other people. Lord, I just pray that you're going to let our, help us to be wise with our preferences, not project them as a law to other people. God, help us to apply that to our political views as well. I have a preference. That's okay. But I can love people that have a different preference. For the word says, Lord, you told us in your word that the world would know we are Christians 
by our love. Show us how to practice that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. we got some prayer partners that will uh, be down here at the front to pray for you. If you have a prayer need, bring it to them. Go with God. He loves you.